Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop to the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. I'm Will Griffith, and with me today and every day on this podcast are my two companions and the real brains of this operation. First up, long-time, King, long-time Kings writer, currently at the King's Herald, Tony Zipteris. Tony, how's it going today? It's going pretty good. I wish the basketball was better, but personally, I'm doing all right. The company's all right. Yeah. Now, saving the best for last and the real reason you've all tuned in today, he's a former Sacramento Kings head coach and color analyst, a general manager of a WNBA champion, Indiana Hall of Famer, and the true pride of French Lick himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, how's it going on this Saturday? Well, not too bad. You know, I'm trying to get on the waiting list to get the vaccine. So, uh, you know, that's the one advantage and then maybe the only advantage of being an old person. You know, you... <laughs> So I'm, I'm looking, I'm just hoping I can get on it pretty quick. Uh, 25 years ago, it might've been a little bit different when people were talking about getting shots in. Now you're, now you're looking for a different type of shot to get in. A, a very much more important kind of shot. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So let's, uh, let's jump right into it. Since last we spoke on uh, right at the beginning of January, I want to run through a couple of stats for you guys and get your opinions on them. So uh, since January 2nd, the Kings have gone two and six uh, with seven of the last eight games they've given up. And this is the big talking point right now in Sacramento. They've given up 120 plus points in seven of the last eight games. Their opponents are right now, they're averaging 123.2 points per game. That's throughout the entire season, not just January. They're currently in historically bad territory in regards to their defense, Jerry. Uh, starting off, what do you have to say about all that? Well, uh, just the eye test tells you all you really need to know, but you, the stats you just pointed out just proves it. I mean, uh, they are dead last in the league and, and, and have the worst uh, <laughs> stat uh, defensively in history. That is history we're talking about. So, so there's, you can't, uh, you can't spin that one. You know, they're just, <laughs> you just can't spin that. I mean, obviously the uh, defense is their problem. I mean, they're, I think eighth in scoring, so offense really isn't the problem. No. Uh, defense is the problem. And it seems to be getting worse, which is maybe even a more major problem. <laughs> Tony, what are, you, uh, what are your initial thoughts on uh, the Kings playing so poorly in, uh, in the turn of the new year? The defense is obviously the issue, as, as you said, Will and Jerry. I'm, um, I guess I'm a little confused why the defense is as bad as it is. I know we've seen Kings teams play bad defense for a number of years, going on, I don't know, 14, honestly. But uh, I don't think this roster is, like, terrible defensively. Um, some of the players are, are not great, but they were playing pretty solid defense with solid, consistent effort for the first few games, and then that fell off a cliff, and now it's like they just can't stop the bleeding. Like, I, like the Clippers just rolled over them in the third quarter um, last night, we're recording this um, on Saturday and just no resistance. And what, what looks bad to me is that it's, it seems to be getting worse. I thought that third quarter in the Clippers and Luke Walton alluded to this post game, that was as bad as they've looked from a effort standpoint on defense. So not just execution, but just a, 
just letting guys go to the rim without much resistance, even good defenders who play hard most of the time, like Rashawn Holmes, who I love, who I think is having a great year. I even saw on one possession, he sort of let a guy go to the room without contesting. And it, it was like, Oh boy, if Rashawn Holmes isn't uh, defending at the rim on a possession, something is going weirdly wrong here. So I, I can't figure out why it fell off a cliff as much as it has over the last few games. You know, it's funny to me because as we as we get further and further kind of down into this pit, you almost seem to see the players uh, not not necessarily not taking accountability towards it, but they seem just almost resigned to it. They seem like they're almost in a place where sometimes you hear them talk and some of the veterans are a little bit like, hey, you don't need people to pick you up. You should be taking pride in this every single night. And other players are just kind of uh, less than ho-hum about it. Jerry, is, th- is there something as a coach that you can point to that when you had a team that was uh, maybe losing interest in the defensive end a little bit or maybe losing interest in the way you were teaching it, is there something you can do to snap a team out of that, whether that's trading a player if you're a general manager or, or benching somebody and mixing up the starting lineup a little bit? Well, I, I think there are some things you should try. I can't say that uh, there's an automatic uh, fix, but but I definitely think that, uh, you know, there's some, if I was going to point blame, and I guess I will, uh, I think you have to look at the head coach. You have to look at the leader of the team, Darren Fox. I mean, basically, you can't be leaders in those leadership positions and, and not uh, take on the challenges. Uh, in other words, uh, hold teammates accountable, hold your team accountable, hold yourself accountable, all those sorts of things. You've got to kind of start there. And I, I think uh, I see a team that seems to basically, um, you know, the old, well, my bad, my bad, uh, you know, my bad, you know, it's like rather than somebody getting into somebody, could you imagine Jerry Sloan sitting over there watching this? I mean, seriously, I mean, you know, or Greg Popovich or Pat Riley. So, you know, so I mean, I think that I've always said, you know, that in football, we always talk about the defensive coordinators and if it's bad defense, uh, they'll get fired and all that and the head coach. But in basketball, it's different. The head coach is your defensive coordinator, even if he isn't, because uh, he's the guy that takes guys out of games. And if you only take them out for for offense or for just routine uh, rotations, uh, where's the where's the penalty? You know, I mean, minutes are the most important things to a player. Sure. And so when you when you not only threaten minutes for poor defense, but actually follow through on it and maybe even say bad words to them. Now, I know that uh, <laughs> is, 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 not, is not common in 2021, but uh, be, be ugly. Uh, they, 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 you know, to make them understand that this isn't acceptable. It's just not acceptable. And uh, regardless of... Uh, what kind of contract they have or, or how good they are on offense. If they don't play better defense, I'm going to take you out. You know, that, I mean, that's uh, probably the simplest thing. Jerry, is there a move on that point? Cause I, I have an opinion on this, I think, but I, I would like to get yours. Uh, you've watched the team this year. Is there a move you would make with the roster they have right now, whether that's changing the starters, taking guys not in the rotation, putting them in, is there a move at this point that you would make or you would like to see Luke Walton make to either improve the defense or just improve the team overall with the players they already have, you know, taking trades out of it? Yeah, probably would, you know, and I mean, it might be a little controversial and I certainly know that uh, 
all the fans aren't going to agree with me on this, and I wouldn't want you to, uh, because as you, you know, I'm wrong a lot too. We all are. But I, I would start Halliburton and Fox at the guard line and move Buddy back to the bench as a, as a scorer. Uh, I'm not blaming Buddy necessarily. He hadn't played well. But, but I just think it's a better guard line. And more importantly, I'd, I'd get the ball out of Fox's hand a good bit more. I'd like to see – I think it's pretty clear to me, at least early on, that Halliburton gets the ball moving better and is a, a more natural playmaker. He's, you know, he definitely just is more creative as a passer. And uh, so I would, I would do that. I know that, you know uh, – and I think it actually helped De'Aaron. I mean, he is a, a better offensive player, takes some of the pressure off of him. Uh, as a score to where he has a live dribble when he catches the ball instead of playing off the dribble all the time. It always makes it easier to score that way. And then, uh, you know, I, I would still uh, start Bagley at four. <clears throat> he hasn't played particularly well. Better of late, no question, better of late. So, But I would certainly stick there, but I would probably have a little quicker hook defensively there. You know, in other words, that's that's an area he's just got to, and and I I think you see a little more effort there, but but I mean he he's got to be he's got to get better, and uh, so but that but definitely I like, you know, in the last you know you're seeing better offense and and on his part I think and and moving the ball a little better all those sorts of things so that would be the only thing I would do and and I think uh, with Buddy uh, hey. I, I was one of the proponents for starting him, but he hasn't played that well. And I certainly wouldn't mess with uh, Harrison Barnes. He's been one of the positives. And, and certainly Rashawn Holmes, just like you pointed out, you found the one time he didn't really hustle. <laughs> I mean, I know, one time. And I mean, it's, you got to dig deep <laughs> to find him, I'll tell you that. I, yeah. I mean, he's just, you know, and I think, you know, with Rashawn, he, yeah, he doesn't protect the basket as well as some bigger guys, although he does protect it pretty good. But he's a uh, overall. I mean, I, I, I enjoy reading people talking about trading Rashawn. It's like, yeah, for who? How do you get better doing that? Uh, he, I mean, <laughs> I mean, really. And then you're not going to draft anybody better, at least right off. I don't care if you get the first pick in the draft at center. You're just not going to get somebody better day one. Rashawn, Rashawn is a young enough guy as well. He's he's not somebody. He's not 35 years old. He's not you know even 32 years old. He's still 26. He's still somebody that could be a part of a, a core lineup that involved De'Aaron. Yeah, and he's getting better, yeah. and he's getting better. Uh, yeah, so now he's not going to grow, but uh, I mean, you know, certainly if you would like to see the whoever's with him at four become be better defensively, that would help him as well. And so that's where the and and Bagley could do that, but he hasn't yet, and and he needs to, he needs to, or the or you need you've got to find better you know, better frontline defense. I can't have my only speaking point about Rashawn Holmes on this podcast being me saying he didn't hustle on one play. Uh, so I will say right here that Rashawn Holmes leads the entire NBA in field goal percentage and effective field goal percentage. He's shooting 70% from the field. Uh, he's literally the most efficient scorer in the league right now. And according to cleaning the glass, I was looking up these numbers earlier today. Um, He's in the 99th percentile in points per shot attempt. Only 55% of his shots are considered around the rim. So this isn't uh, a DeAndre Jordan situation where he's just dunking every, every uh, shot. And that's why his field goal percentage is so high. Um, he's got that range on his floater. So he's taking some difficult shots with a little bit of range and still leading the league in field goal percentage. So I have 
zero complaints about what Rashawn Holmes is doing this season for the Kings, to be clear. I think you could argue he's been their best player. And if you don't want to go that far, he's definitely been their most consistent because the one game they played without him in Portland, they looked completely lost and got trashed. So um, I, I want to make it clear. I'm a very big fan of Rashawn Holmes. Yeah, I, I want to follow. I mean, to me, he he's not their best player, but he is their most productive yeah. I mean, you can make that case. That's an easy case to make. And and then I, I guess I would take it one step further. In my mind, uh, going forward, I don't know, you know, his role could change But uh, as you go forward. But he's part of the solution. He is not part of the problem. Yeah. There's, there's, there's plenty of guys that are <laughs> maybe part of the problem, but, but it's not him. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that, uh, I think that Tony, uh, first of all, nobody's going to think that you're, you're trashing Sean Holmes for saying he took one playoff and in, in 12 games, he, he took one play that he got a little lost on or something like that. But I, I, I do agree that, that it's not just a DeAndre Jordan situation where he's catching lobs or dunks. He's doing, he's moving on offense all the time and he's got a push shot from as far out as the free throw line. He's, he's putting little spins on when he needs to. He's hustling for offensive rebounds. If, if there's anybody who deserves just straight up praise for the season, even more so than even a Harrison Barnes, who's been the veteran leader of the team so far, it's been Rashawn. Rashawn is one of the best centers in the NBA right now in terms of his production and his efficiency. So nobody on this podcast is going to trash Rashawn Holmes right now. Amen. Tony, Tony brought up a point um, um, online today about uh, Marvin Bagley. And Tony, I don't know if you have those numbers in front of you about Marvin and his, his last six games. Yeah, I will say, you know, we've talked about Marvin Bagley's defensive struggles. And I think, uh, again, just to reference cleaning the glass, um, defensive metrics are hard to give a lot of weight to, especially when the sample size is so small. But of every player on the Kings, uh, when Marvin Bagley is on the court, they are at their worst defensively. Uh, I think teams shoot um, 5% better from the field when Bagley's on the court. And that's a higher uh, margin than any other player on the team by, by far. But to Bagley's credit, I know Will was trying to lead me into complimenting him, and I'll do that here. Um, despite the rough start he's had offensively, over his last, last six games, Bagley is averaging 26 minutes, 15 points per game, seven rebounds per game, 1.2 assists, 1.0 blocks. But most importantly, over the last six games, he's shooting about 57% from the field and 44% from three. And if you take that against his first six games where he was very inefficient offensively, and if you're looking for progress from Marvin Bagley, um, his last six games, he's been an efficient and effective player, at least on offense. And you'll definitely take uh, any kind of progress at that point, at this point. So. Yeah. His three point shot actually looks starting to look very good. Uh, you know, occasionally get one offline, but uh, I, I mean, obviously the, the eye test tells you a lot there and, you know, on the defensive side, I, I think he's trying a lot harder. I do. I, I don't think he's necessarily any better at it right now, but I do like the effort better. And, and what you're seeing, I think is basically as he's playing more minutes as he should uh, for different reasons, but teams are picking on him, you know, uh, basically, you know, I mean, uh, they scout in the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> by the way. <laughs> and uh, so the teams are picking on him. They're kind of trying to find him in situations. So in other words, that that's part of what he's going through now and he will go through that. And so it's up to him and the team to find ways to, for him to get better at, at it and give him more help because uh, certainly they are trying to, trying to get him isolated or get him in pick and rolls and, and going at him much like, you know, in football where they go at certain cornerbacks uh if they, if they think they've got an advantage. So that, that's, that's just the league. 
I think with Marvin too, a lot of this is about just seeing effort right off the bat. I mean, he's uh, he's still so young into his NBA career. He's still somebody who's only played just over 82 games now. I think he's up to like 84 or 85. He's somebody that to me, when uh, like he'll slide, he'll try to slide over. I noticed a, a couple of games ago, he slid over for a charge and got called for a foul. And like, but in my mind, it's like, okay, kid, you're trying. Like you, your mind is picking up fast enough. You're playing in the NBA and you've played long enough to understand, okay, I can draw a charge at this spot. He didn't get there, but he's, his mind is at least working towards that direction. He's, he's, blocking, he's blocking shots a little bit better as well, where he's starting to understand how the ball is rotating on the offensive end as well and getting to his spots a little bit sooner. And that's something that where he is so young and still so raw, it's kind of like, a, okay, like you can, you can see the silver lining in those clouds. Well, you can. And I, I think, too, one of the things we forget about or have forgotten about, uh, maybe just me, but I, I know, you know, at Duke, uh, his only year playing in college, he played zone. Now, he was one of the big reasons they did play zone. I mean, Coach K, Coach K uh, basically uh, has a pretty good idea of what he's doing. And he didn't want to play zone, but that because because Marvin just hadn't really due to AAU and all that, he wasn't a good defender and still isn't, of course. So uh, not only uh, you know his background just isn't good defensively, and and uh, now we're just I think just starting to see maybe if uh, you know due to effort and all, uh, see where this goes. You know I think uh, you know another twenty games or so, we we might have a you know, have a little better idea. Okay. There may be hope here. There may be hope here. And uh, right now he's not very good, but he, he is trying harder. And I, I just think, you know, give credit where it's due and uh, where it's not due. Don't give him credit. Uh, I think there's a quote about um, the first thing of being good at something is being bad at something. And I think Marvin Bagley is at least getting out of that being bad at something. And he, you know, he's got a long ways to, get, to go before he's good at anything but he's, he's headed in the right direction, at least now. Well, well I've always said, you know, I, I mean, I think one of my old sayings that I really believe in, uh, you can't solve a problem until you admit you've got one. <laughs> sure. And I, and, and I think we're just kind of maybe turned that corner there. And uh, so, so if that's the case, then credit to it. <laughs> and, it, it and if not, then discredit <laughs> to it. Because, that, you know, uh, it, his career now, uh, you know, it, He's responsible for his career. Period. Coach, you you uh, you mentioned as well um, moving Halliburton into the starting lineup and bringing Buddy to the bench. And I wanted to know only because I think it would be a good idea for Buddy. I think it would benefit him to play against second units. He's starting to come out of the shooting slump that he started the year in, but uh, I do think a move to the bench and using him as a super sub would be beneficial to the Kings. I don't think Buddy believes that 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 is something that he would want to do or that he'd have any place in, especially after his squabbling with Luke Walton last year. How do you sit down a player? How did you in the past see a starter that wasn't quite working as intended or slumping early in the season and sit him down and say, hey, we're, we're moving you to the bench? And how, how would you go about doing that if, if you were coaching Buddy Heald today? Well, I, I do think you hit on it. I mean, I think you just tried to sit down man to man. And say this, obviously, you know, buddy, uh, you, you're aware of our record. <laughs> you're aware. <laughs> These are some stats that would interest you. And, and certainly, I, in my opinion, uh, I think this would give us a chance to be a better team. And I think also it would could help you. 
uh, because not only uh, would you be you'd be coming in off the bench playing with Halliburton or with Fox, just like before, or with a and more second unit guys at times, so that you'll hopefully get more and better shots and uh, get more productive. Uh, it, it, and and then I would say, you know, try to point out that some of the greatest players in the history of basketball have been six man for a period of time. You know, the you know first ballot Hall of Famers like McHale and John Havlicek come to mind and they handled it. And, and buddy, they were a lot better than you. <laughs> and so, so, you know, I mean, sometimes now would he, would he like it? No, of course not. And he shouldn't, shouldn't. I mean, I, that's the other part of it is you say, no, I just like with players getting less, you don't want players happy uh, getting no. You know, basically as put in positions that they don't really want or, or, or to get less minutes or this or that. You don't want that at all. I mean, they got a lot of pride. And, and so you, 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 I respect that about buddy. I know he wouldn't like it. And, but it's like, Hey, we, we've got to do something to get this team moving and you're, you know, it will be a sacrifice on your part, but it should be a sacrifice that could help you, not only the team, but yourself. How much does a general manager, if you, you as the coach said, Hey, I'm, I think I'm moving buddy to the bench. How much does a general manager pull out their hair and, and say, Jerry, you cannot do that. I am, you know, I'm trying to do something here with buddy or we're trying to move him and we want people to see his value or how much of a discussion goes into that with the general manager? Well, you should have a discussion. That's for sure. I mean, I think that that's the first thing. I think you want to have a, the old, uh, Jack McCloskey, a general manager of the Pistons, told me once, he said, you know, the best advice when I was in front office, the best advice I can give you is make sure you have a team off the floor. And that's your coach, yeah. you know, you can't have a team on the floor till you have one off the floor. So you don't want uh, splits. And we've seen that here. Sure. <laughs> uh, sure. So, so I, I would go to the general manager and say, this is what I think we should do. This is what I would like to do. What are your thoughts? And then if he can give you a good reason not to, I'd, I'd consider that, you know, I mean, you've given me, you know, like, Hey, we think there's a trade out there that can make this team better. And right now he needs just for the benefit of that trade, we need to keep him in this lineup for this period of time. And I'd say, well, if it's best for the franchise and obviously the next three or four games, isn't going to make that much difference. But uh, so you'd have, I mean, that's the only way I'd look at it. I'm not saying every coach would, but, but I would look at it that way. And if I was in the front office, I'd look at the same way. I'd want to talk to the, have the coach come and talk about it. And, and uh, you know, then if he's adamant about doing it, I'd still say, well, you know, it's your team. You know, uh, I, I do believe that. I, I think the, the coach has to coach his team. Uh, uh, the GM can't coach teams. They can't do it. And you, 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 if you got to make a line in the sand, then you make it, but also you're going to be held accountable. Well, okay. So let's run through some stats here and I want to see which ones stand out to you guys the most. So the Kings um, opponents per game rankings, um, Tim was talking about this a little bit over the last couple of days, but uh, it's something that stands out to every single person that watches these games. Currently the Kings opponents um, score the most points in the NBA. They have the second most assists in the NBA. Um, in terms of turnovers, they they turn the ball over uh, the twenty seventh least. So they're the you know teams teams do not average a lot of turnovers against the Kings. Their plus minuses, their twenty ninth in field goal percentage is thirtieth, thirtieth um, in three point percentage, twenty ninth in field goals made, thirtieth in field goals attempted, 
27th and three pointers made 28th and three pointers attempted like throughout any stat you look at from the defensive end here, the Kings are historically, historically bad. How do you go about in a locker room trying to change that mentality a little bit? As you said before, you maybe got to get a little bit ugly with them, but what is there something that you can do? I mean, you have Rex Kalamian there as who's supposed to be kind of the quote unquote defensive coordinator who was brought in to help shore up the defense. How do you and your defensive coordinator in that circumstance change up what what's going on on like on the floor in terms of in terms of uh, do you run more zone are you are you saying okay we're going to hold you more accountable and tighten the leash a little bit Luke Walton famously has a really tight you know he picks his nine guys and that's it do you open up your bench a little bit and, and throw guys in there earlier Jerry how, how does that work I think at this stage you'd try all the above to be honest yeah. I mean it's uh, to me it's pretty clear there's a problem and just, uh, you know, having a, a, a come to Jesus moment's not going to be enough. Uh, sure. I mean, I think it's a case where all the above, I mean, I think all your practice time, just about or 80, probably I'll be 80% of your practice time be on defense and, uh, and make, and make the team understand why, you know, it's like, Hey, uh, we, this team is pretty good offensively but it, it is terrible on defense and we're going to get better. We're, we're going to have to, you know, we're going to spend the time. We're going to make sure you're aware of uh, and admit to our problems and, and to admit to if we get better on defense, the offense will even get easier. Uh, you know, we're, we're spending all the time taking the ball out of the basket for God's sakes. Uh, uh, get, get some stops, get out in the open court. So yeah, you know, basically start there start okay we're gonna we're gonna demand better effort and practice and schemes and, and as you pointed out yeah maybe a little more zone uh, throw throw zones in there a few minutes here a few minutes there uh, I, I think a good tempo change and the the third thing I, and I couldn't agree more I think at some point okay we've got a rotation we want to use but uh, we're going to change it you know we're going to change it. You know, you, you've played your way into the rotation. Now you can undefend yourself out of the rotation. And, uh, and I think it has to be not only said, but followed up on. I think a good example of that would be uh, Chimezi Metsu the last couple of games, who's come in kind of off the deep bench. And instead of Hassan Whiteside, who, who was obviously dealing with an injury as well, but who's been getting, uh, Luke Walton, you can start to see is toying with Chemezi Metsu's minutes a little bit. And last night against the Clippers, he had a fairly good game. I mean, he came out there and he was active on offense and he was moving his feet on defense a little bit. And I think we're starting to see a little bit of the Kings getting to that desperation point of, okay, it's it's time to see what the kids can do a little bit here. And Chemezi Metsu brought a little energy there in that second quarter off of the bench. Yeah, he's an athletic guy. You have to like a little what you see. I mean, I don't know where it goes. But, uh, you know, a few consistent minutes every game is not going to decide whether you get rings at the end of the year. Uh, this, so, so get, you know, try to get him out there. Just a guy that's playing with the energy and effort. Uh, and that should be an absolute given from the bench. If you're, if, you're, if you're a bench performer, now this is, <laughs> this is old school, but if you don't come in with a little fire from the bench, you probably need to be fired. You know, I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's, uh, and I think that's probably the, the thing that's a little disappointing with Whiteside. I'm not surprised, but you know, he, he just, he's just a downer 
to watch him. Yes. <laughs> you know, you just, you know, I just feel like I want to go sit and watch the game, lay down, and take a nap, you know? And, <laughs> and, and, and I mean, and the guy, the guy does some good stuff, you know, I mean, it's not that I, I give it, I mean, he's fairly productive, but it's just, I think with uh, me too, I mean, he, uh, Metu, me too, Metu. Uh, uh, he gives you effort, a little bit like a, a junior varsity Holmes. Yeah. You know, Whiteside is such a bizarre player to watch. I I feel like he hasn't been this unathletic until this year. I mean, he's he's always been a little bit of a of a slower center, but it, it is. It's like you're watching a, a different game. It's like a slow motion when Whiteside is involved with the play, either offensively or defensively. And it is weird because he's still producing despite looking significantly less mobile than everybody else on the court. Um, he's still like producing, but I do like, I know Whiteside was out last game. So I, I'm not sure if, if Metu has truly uh, supplanted him in the rotation, but I do think at this stage with where the Kings are at uh, with their energy level, it wouldn't be a bad idea to give Metu that opportunity um, just because you are pretty desperate for energy. And he seems to be giving you that in his limited minutes so far. Yeah, I do think that the, one other thing with Whiteside, and, and I, you know, if you go back three or four years at Miami when they first kind of went there, and 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 they really uh, kind of charred, got, you know, he was ready to go and had bounced around for a zillion years everywhere, but he was good, and uh, and and he had two or three years like that. Of course, got the big contract and all that. But I, I think another thing that's hurting besides just you know maybe age a little bit, uh, uh, the game, it's a different yeah. game. You know, in the last five, six years, it, it's just simply a different game. And it's harder for, you know, just basically uh, guys that play around the basket five foot, uh, you know, to be as, you know, be as good. You know, we saw that with DeAndre Jordan, I think, a few years ago, just to where, you know, the things he did well weren't enough. And mm-hmm. and, and and I think that's you know, a little bit of what, what Hassan's going through. But uh, anyway, I, you know, I, I think it's all obviously with, with Hassan, he's had a pretty darn good career, but it, you know, I don't think anybody expects him to be here next year. So, uh, uh, Matt too, and, you know, it's at least, uh, you know, if you give a chance to play him and certainly I, if, if Luke wanted to go back to Hassan at times and if he's healthy and can help uh, certainly protect the basket sure. Why not? Uh, he, neither one's going to be game changer, but it is nice to see, uh, Matt to uh, get some minutes because you you'll need to make a decision on him at some point. We uh, we started to talk about the uh, the standings a little bit. Tony mentioned and uh, Jerry, I wanted to get your opinion on this. The Kings are, you know, 11, 12 games into their season. At what point do you really start um, f- folding the uh, the veterans out of the rotation and start adding more, knowing that the season's over? Obviously, the Kings aren't at that point yet. They're four and seven, or I'm sorry, they're they're five and eight, which means they're you know, they're, they're not out of anything. They're three games out of 500 early on in the season. And this season you've got like five or six teams that are, that are right at 500. So at what point do you as a coach or as the general manager comes down and says, Hey, it's time to get more, you know, starts to give you the nudge, nudge, hint, hint. Hey, we don't think this team's going anywhere. Let's fold some more guys in the rotation. Well, that's a great question. I, uh, I mean, I, I think that probably at some point you might, you're getting pretty close to the point excuse me, where you'd want to maybe, maybe look at some different rotations, whether it's uh, Kyle Guy gets some minutes where Corey Joseph is playing, you know, and, and I mean, I think you could, 
probably do that at any time, uh, or at least uh, uh, cut Corey's minutes to make sure that that Kyle guy gets because you know he's a big time shooter. I think with a little bit of a handle. Not saying he's and I'm not saying he's as answered anything, but a few years ago nobody thought Seth Curry was, uh, but he is now. <laughs> he damn sure is now. He's leading the league in three point percentage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I thought I thought we saw that when he was here. To be honest, that you know, and then of course Dallas too. But but of course he got more expensive as he went too, <laughs> rightly so. Uh, but anyway, uh, so you know, I, yeah, I think you start you know, kind of working around the edges for now. Cause I, I think with the, you know, some of the veteran guys, I mean, the Barneses and, the, and buddies and, and Holmeses and all that. I mean, you don't want to, you know, you, there's no reason to mess with them. I mean, particularly, I mean, you, you know, if you're going to trade guys, you're going to trade guys. Uh, I mean, so I, I would till near the end, I mean, uh, the players are going to want to play and the coach is going to want to win. Yeah. I mean, and really players and coaches want to win. And uh, unless the, the general manager is prepared to come down and take over the team and, 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 you know, do pull a move like the Peterson coach at the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, I don't think uh, the league or anybody just out and out tanking. I, I just, you know, and that, that I'm not, and of course, I, as you know, I'm not for it anyway. I, I think that it's, it's a, called a lottery. It is a lottery okay. and, uh, and the Kings know, They've benefited from it at times, and it's hurt them at times, and it will again, benefit or hurt. And if you think you can count on a certain number, uh, I think we know that's pretty foolish. Tony, um, give us give us something from your mind about what what stood out to you in these last in these last two weeks that surprised you, either good or bad. What's something that you saw that you just kind of went, oh, I didn't expect the Kings to go this way. I know we talked a lot about Rashawn Holmes and we've touched on Harrison Barnes's season a little bit, but what he's doing on the, like he looks like a completely different player to me. And I don't know if this is going to keep up um, the entire year, but he's, you know, he's, I'm looking at it now he's 28 years old and he has at least so far, he's having the best season of his career um, efficiency scoring wise for sure. But even like he's become a, a, much more dependable offensive player than he was last year for the Kings. And he's people have always said um, that, you know, the best Harrison Barnes was the golden state version where he, he wasn't asked to be like a, a leading scorer type, more of a, a wing role player. And he's doing that for the Kings now, but I think um, he's doing it better than he's ever done it. And what's interesting about that, I guess is now that we're talking about trades and, and roster changes, um, Harrison Barnes has gone from uh what a lot of people would consider an overpaid player under the contract Vlade gave him to a pretty fair value contract, considering some of the money we saw um, get spent this summer by a lot of teams. Uh, and I know just, it's all been speculation so far, but there's been a lot of teams, um, the, at least the fans of those teams who have seemed much more interested in adding a guy like Harrison Barnes for his contract to their roster than we've seen and that's a, a credit to how well he's played this year. And, you know, we've talked about consistent effort and consistent contributions. And I think if you're looking for a positive to this season and a positive for the last two weeks, along with Rashawn Holmes, Harrison Barnes has been uh, a wildly consistent um, positive for the Kings anytime he's on the court. Yeah, I think, I think you could make a strong case that he's been the Kings' best player 
when you look at the whole package, I think because he is a he does play solid defense and and just an absolute good team guy. Uh, you know, just throw the contract stuff out. I mean, and, and as you point out, Tony, I mean, you can make the case that's a pretty good contract right now. I, I was certainly one of those that didn't think it was at the time, and I'm still not sure about that. But but it is. But that's to me that you you know the contracts don't play. Players play, and uh, and and so. But, but I think that's the danger, and I really am a fan of his, but, but he needs to be no better than your third best player, fourth best player. <laughs> and that, that's really the – and, sure. and so that's not, not a discredit to him. It's a credit to him, but it's a discredit to others who should be, who should be better. Yeah, he's second on the team in scoring, um, and he's only a point behind De'Aaron Fox, which if you, you know, if you were looking for what you wanted the stat sheet to look at, look like this season – You'd want Buddy and Fox at the very least over him and substantially over him. So that that probably says more about what Fox and Buddy are doing than what Harrison is doing. But yeah, that's not really a winning uh, a winning number. Yeah, I'd, I'd even say that you know from a franchise standpoint, you're, you're counting on Bagley being better too. Right. You know, I mean, you you really need and it's not those three guys to be better than Harrison. It's, it's not nothing nothing with Harrison. You know, he's yeah. he's doing his part. The truth is those three aren't doing completely their parts. Not, you know, it's a long season still. And so that can all work out. And, and, uh, you know, certainly uh, De'Aaron's playing well, but, but he's not playing as good as Harrison. It's, it's funny to me because there were some times last year where he seemed to be invisible. Like he'd have these games where I, I, I wouldn't, I would sit there and think after the game, like, oh, the Kings lost by 30. What did Harrison Barnes do? And I couldn't remember a single thing that Harrison Barnes did that night. And like, I try to pay attention to games. I'm not somebody who's up there brushing my teeth or getting drinks or pizza during the game. I'm, I'm watching to watch. This season, I don't think there's been a single game where I haven't been like, oh, I can't believe Harrison did that. Or like, oh, that was a really good play from Harrison Barnes. He, I don't want to, I mean, he's always played well. He's always been active. He's always been somebody who plays with heart and doesn't drag his feet and get sad when things are down. But Harrison just seems to be stepping up in, in a way that uh, I'm not sure how to even quantify it in terms of numbers. But he's doing things every single night that I can look at and go, Harrison Barnes, without Harrison Barnes, the Kings would have done this. Or without Harrison Barnes during this point of the game, this team would have gone on a bigger run. But he did something that stepped up. And so uh, to me, it's one of those things when I, I call home and talk to my family about sports and my, my mom is in her mid-70s and my dad is in his 80s. Uh, that's the one guy that they always seem to be like, oh, Harrison had a really good game last night. And last season, we could have gone months and we'd have never talked about Harrison Barnes at all. Yeah, you make great points there. You know, I, I think uh, just looking at him to me, he, he's a guy I think is such a uh, good teammate, good guy, uh, was willing to blend into a fault. Yes. You know, like like uh, I don't want to step on the toes of my yes. these, these teammates who are the Kings – franchise guys they think or they want to be that sort of thing and I think this year he kind of dawned on him it's like wait a minute I, I've got to do what I can do you know I'm not it's nothing certainly not a selfish bone in his body uh, I don't think anybody would ever say that anywhere that he's been uh, but I think he's just like hey I'm good you know I got to go play too I can't just defer to these guys who aren't playing as well as me you know, I, I don't know that he's, so, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, it's gone through his mind and, 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 and it should, uh, you know, it's like, wait a minute here. I, 
and, and uh, you know, and, and on a, he's a lot more aggressive offensively, you know, mm-hmm. and, and credit to, to coach Walton. I think they're using him better, you know, getting him in the post more yeah. things of that nature. So, uh, uh, and, and, and he is by without a doubt, the best, probably best post player they have. I mean, Marvin should be someday, but he's not right now. I think I think him being more selfish is almost an unselfish act. Like the Kings need somebody yeah. to step up. And, <laughs> yeah. and and if he decided to still be sitting at his 13, 14 points a game, I think the Kings they wouldn't win very many games. I think he the Kings would have won maybe one or two and that'd have been about it. Yeah, you know, the other thing that strikes me is one of the things that's helped him. Uh this team is a lot more unselfish than, than teams we've seen. Now they they're terrible on we've already talked about the defense, but offensively. Overall, uh, the, the assist turnover ratio proves it. I mean, they they moved the ball, and they're 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 kind of fun to watch on offense. They're just yeah. unfun to watch when the other team has it. But but I mean, they move the ball, and an unselfish team really benefits an unselfish player. And 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 Harrison fits that. And and I thought last year the team was a very selfish team, and uh, just the opposite. They they've they've risen from bottom of the league in assists and on the bottom ten to. I think right now they're in the top 13, 14, where they're up in the upper half of the league in terms of their assists. And that's one of those things for me that the offense does look good at times. And at times it looks great. It's just a matter of is Buddy Heald engaged on offense and hitting his shots? Is De'Aaron Fox being aggressive? Those are the, those are the things to me that like, I think the Kings could, could win more games if they tried to go for 150 points a game. They just uh, yeah, they, they just are allowing 160 if that's the case most of the nights. Well, too, you know, I, I think that when they bog down on offense, it's always the same things. It's the uh, ball stops. And, and I think that's why Halliburton on the floor more with the ball more gets the yeah. ball moving more. And I, and I think you can because, you know, I mean, it's not a brain surgeon to know that in third quarters and fourth quarters, defenses get more physical officials, let them get more physical and that's fine. That's the game. And you have to, you have to set better screens. You have to move cut harder. You have to move the ball more. And we see uh, all those things going backwards instead of forwards. And I, that's why I, I do like the idea of a real creative, unselfish guy with the ball more. And that is Halliburton. Jerry, explain something to me here. This was another positive. I have a small list of positives that I wrote down. It's a, it's a very small list. The <laughs> negatives are <laughs> the negatives about a hundred pages and the positives are on a postage stamp. But one of, but one of them was um, the Kings are number one in the league and get into the free throw line. They shoot more free throws than any team in the league. Last year, the Kings, and, and historically, the Kings have been a pretty bad team at getting to the line. Last year, they were 28th in the league, and they've gone all the way up to number one. Explain, explain either as a coach or as a player, or how, how do the Kings get themselves to the line like that in such a vast improvement without changing over a lot of – I mean, it's not like a, you brought a James Harden in who's drawing a lot of fouls. You know, what, what thing do you tell a player to be aggressive in order to get a team – from that far down into the dumps in terms of free throw attempts to number one in the league? Well, I do think it, it, it's kind of a cumulative effect. I mean, this is a good three-point shooting team for the most part. And, uh, and I think with uh, Holmes on the floor, they keep the basket open pretty good. So you, you really have the opportunity not only to screen rolls, but actually drives to the basket, uh, uh, you know, and get you putting in yourself in a position to draw fouls. 
I mean, uh, we've seen in the past where, yeah, if you're just moving the ball around the uh, perimeter, uh, looking, hoping to take a long shot, it, don't be surprised if you don't get the line much. You pretty much, uh, you know, and, and I think we've seen that. I mean, just talking about Harrison Barnes. I mean, we've seen him in the post more, uh, but we're seeing more straight line drives from the Kings, uh, more, more screen rolls trying to get to the basket and uh, uh, than we saw last year. And so, yeah, I say there's, yeah, the offense, there's a lot of things to like. Now, if I'm going to be the Debbie Downey here, they're also 27th in the league in percentage. So they are great at getting there, not so good at putting them in the basket. Yeah, you actually, uh, they are free throws, uh, but you, you know, you have to make them. And, and if you send, <laughs> and the thing I learned as an early, as a young coach is if you send bad free throw shooters to the line, don't be surprised if you don't have high percentages. And so uh, the, and there's no reason for the, for like guys like Darren Fox to not shoot better at the line. Uh, uh, certainly Bagley, uh, Rashawn Holmes is terrific. Uh, you know, but, but so the guys that get to the line, you know, and, 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 you know, you hear guys complain about not getting the line enough. And sometimes it's just the very same guys who don't make them. And, and and I usually have always had a, made fun of guys like that just on purpose. Uh, it's like, yeah, uh, you know, if you're gonna bitch about it, then make them. I think that might be the most disappointing part of uh, De'Aaron Fox's season is that he hasn't improved at all in the free throw line, and he's improved very minimally throughout his entire career as a shooter. And that even when he was at Kentucky, the uh, the thing stopping him from reaching his full potential was his improvement as a shooter, I guess on offensively, defensively is a different story, but the, the issue with him on offensive on the, on offense was always, can he improve as a shooter, both as a, as a free throw shooter, as a three point shooter and in the mid range. And we haven't seen that uh, leap yet. And it can obviously still happen, but I think, you know, I, I don't think De'Aaron Fox has had an awesome year either. And he's been, he's been okay. He's been pretty good. He hasn't been a max player yet. And I think that the, the biggest uh, negative I have on offense is just that his lack of improvement as a shooter is is still concerning. I mean, he's leaving a couple points a game on the on the board just at the free throw line because he gets there so so often. Um, but he's got to he's got to knock those down better. Couldn't agree more. I, I mean, I, I think that uh, you know uh, he's still you know a work in progress. I mean, he's just a marvelous physical specimen with unbelievable speed and quickness, but uh, shooting needs to get better and he's got to be a better playmaker. I mean, actually a more creative playmaker, right? Not just uh, maybe making some passes due to creating numbers himself trying to score. And so, so th those are areas that, you know, but can he get there? Sure. I've seen a lot of point guards, uh, you know, come to mind. It took several years to get to the place they needed to get to. And in most, in fact, so some, you know, the, the, the true, the Chris Pauls and those kind of guys were there day one, but not many. And so, uh, you know, it, you know, with, with, uh, De'Aaron, you know, you see a, a guy has the chance to be everything that you want him to be, but it's also true. He's not there right now. He's just not. Gary, talk to us a little bit about, about, uh, De'Aaron Fox as well. And, uh, and just how he, um, I don't know how to put this. I'm, I'm, tr I'm trying to I'm trying to not uh, annoy anybody by by putting this out there in the world. But at what at what point do you do you come to De'Aaron Fox and you say, hey, I, I need more from you? Is that right away? Are you somebody that, you know, knowing that this is kind of a lost season, this is kind of a season where 
the Kings aren't really going anywhere. The Kings aren't going to make, even if they make playoff noise, they're not going to be making championship noise. Is this something that you just tell them, Hey, go out there and play and we'll, we'll fix this in the off season. Or is this something that, you know, we're using this mostly as an evaluation season, or is this something where you tell them, Hey, I need you to be a better three point shooter. I need you to get to the line more. I need you to hit your free throws. Like how much of the onus do you put on the player during the season where he's got little time in terms of actually fixing anything or is there enough time during these practices that he can make a real improvement? Oh, I think you always are, should be thinking in terms of how you get how he gets better. I think that's what Darren Fox would want to hear. What do you what do you think? What do I need to do? And I certainly he's the face of the franchise. He's the guy that the franchise is committed to. So you, to me, as a coach or front office, whoever, I think you'd want to have a lot of uh, talks with. Sure. about where he's going uh, it's not to uh, just like a teacher with their prime student uh, you know it, you, it's mostly going to be positive of what you see everything you say negative you want to say two things positive because you want him coming coming back but uh, but I and I would yeah I would certainly want to probably sit down and have a little heart to heart about once a week on on hey you know, this is really important. Can you, you know, do you got to work on this? Uh, do you need to, someone to work with you, especially on your three-point shot or your free throw? We, we've only got 12 assistant coaches, so maybe we can find somebody. Uh, or, you know, it, it, it's even possible for, you know, as a head coach, you can work with a person. I think, I don't know if it's allowed anymore, but, uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, do that. And, and, you know, and I would, uh, I would honestly talk to, to, to De'Aaron I, I would probably give him my Kenny Smith speech of years ago uh, where Kenny, you know, terrific young talent and was a, and went on to have a good career, not, you know, but probably the career he should have had. Yeah, he got bounced around a little bit, but I always, I told Kenny, I said, you know, about halfway through his rookie year, I said, have you noticed Kenny that everybody likes playing against you? And he, and he said, what do you mean? I said, you don't make anybody mad. They all like playing against you. I said, have you noticed John Stockton? Nobody likes playing against John Stockton. You know why? Because he's a dirty little bastard, you know. And, uh, and you need to be a little more like that. You need to take guys, you're a small guard. And uh, you've got to, you can't be everybody's buddy. And, uh, and I think that uh, that applies to De'Aaron here. You know, you, you know at some point, uh, you just can't have a group hug all the time. You you've you, you can do that. You can be a great sportsman before the game and after the game, but you need to be a, a dickhead during the game. This might just be my perception of the Kings. Uh, I, I you know I'm not an NBA player, so I don't know if it's it's the reality of the situation. But it seems like um, league wide, everyone loves to play against the Kings. You know we've talked about how good teams are scoring when they come against the Kings, but the laundry list of players who have, who, who have their career high against the Kings grows every season. Um, someone else, someone did it this year already, just these role players that go off against the Kings. And I don't know how you changed that mindset. And it's a, it's a perception thing, but it does seem like, you know, teams still can kind of circle the Kings on their schedule. And, you know, we don't have to, uh, give all, I don't know, we're going to get some points on this game. This is going to be a fun one for us. And is it personnel? Is it just getting tougher players in there? Or is it one of those things where winning sort of solves everything? And if you win games, regardless of how, you know, quote unquote, tough you are, teams will stop viewing you as sort of the easy game on the schedule. Yeah, you make great points. I think it's all, all of it's true. I mean, winning solves every problem. 
You know, I mean, uh, that's true. But you probably don't win if you don't make things uncomfortable for your opponents. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and I think that's kind of where it starts. You know, the old uh, take uh, a little more personal responsibility and pride, uh, you know, for your part of the, the equation, you know, type thing. And, and I mean, I always think of, you know, teams over the years, you know, the the Utah Jazz or the San Antonio Spurs or the Indiana Pacers that, that pretty much consistently within their, you know, even coaches may have changed or front offices may have changed, but, but they're always hard to play against. You know, I mean, you, you knew that going in that you, you, you'd better lease them up. Somebody might, might, uh, might knock you down a little bit and they weren't dirty uh, particularly, but I'm just saying now, and that just lately has not been true of the Kings. Uh, I think if you go back some years, there's been certainly some teams with the Kings in the middle nineties with Mitch and Sharunas Marshallonis and Michael Smith and, and Brian Grant, that, those teams, nobody, and I guarantee you, nobody wanted to play them. You know, they weren't all that good. I mean, they were, they were pretty darn good, but they weren't that good, but physically they knocked people around. And, and, you know, it's no different uh, in the NBA than in the, on the outdoor courts. Uh, your kids playing outdoor courts, they know who they don't want to play against. You know, I mean, uh, I've always say, you know, it's the old Ron Artest kind of thing. Uh, who wanted to play against Ron Artest? Nobody. Who wants to play against Marcus Smart? Nobody. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, and, and right now, we've got a lot of guys that they, people, who, who on our team would scare somebody? Maybe Robert Woodard, if he was standing in the dark. And if you him silhouetted, then yeah. Yeah, well. But yeah. in terms of on the court. Yeah, and, and yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and that's not to say, you know, I, I certainly think that, that, you know, Buddy, Rashawn, these guys, they're not soft by any stretch. I would never say that because they're not yeah. uh, Harrison. But I mean, I, I just think it's a, a little bit of a team <laughs> thing. That, that's kind of got us got to start and be consistent throughout the lineup. And I always say that's, you know, it's a little bit like the Utah jazz. I, I mean, you know, the Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, their two top guys take a lot of pride in their defense and, and, and certainly their role players, the Joe Ingles of the world will, uh, will ding you up a little bit and uh, take some cheap <laughs> shots. <laughs> in fact, and, uh, you know, nobody, nobody likes cheap shot artists unless you've got them on your team. And, you know, and, and I always say that, you know, Scott Pollard made a lot of money uh, being that, you know, and, uh, you know, sad to say, but we could, we could use, we could use a couple of those guys. <laughs> yeah. Jerry, pick, pick for me then. Find me a dirty bastard in this league that you'd want to just pluck from one team and drop right in, right on the Kings. I know you mentioned Marcus Smart. I know you mentioned a couple others, but find one guy in the league that you know their reputation as kind of a one of those grit and grind, like uh, I'm going to wake up sore tomorrow types. PJ Tucker, I'd, uh, you know the guy. I think he helps any team. Yeah. He's and doesn't have score point because he, he can guard, mm -hmm. you know, six fives, and he can guard centers, he can guard power forwards, and I guarantee you they don't want no part of it. You know, and, and you know, yeah, is he? I'd pay him a lot more money than his, his stats tell you he's worth because I think he makes you better, you know, whether it's off the bench or as a starter. And he's a pretty good basketball player, by the way. You know, he's a, a ball mover. Uh, you know, Draymond used to be like that. 
before he became a first ballot hall of famer uh according to the warrior people i, I must have i must have missed that but uh i mean <laughs> i mean he, but his early years i mean he just he just made a real difference on the court he still does to, to a lesser degree but uh so you know there's there's guys like that jay crowder comes to mind everywhere he goes he's he's better than people think he's going to be you know memphis missed him and and miami's missing him now and uh, you know they I always said when they got Iguodala and Jay Crowder, they, they took, you know, Jay Crowder as a throw. And I said, well, he's the better player now. I mean, and he is by, by far. Uh, you know, Absolutely. Andre was better six years ago, but not now. And, uh, but anyway, yeah, those, they're, they're, those guys are out there. And, uh, you know, you just, uh, and I think that's, that's why some of the, you know, some of the franchises like the Spurs and the Pacers and the, Utah Jazz and the Miami Heat are so good at finding, uh, you know, these guys. You know, they've been great through the years of finding guys that have been out there for anybody, but they, but they got them. And uh, I think, I think Toronto comes to mind as well lately. I think that Nick Nurse and them, even though they're struggling so far this year, but they'll get it together. But they, they, they got a whole bunch of guys that anybody could have had, and they're really good. <laughs> you know what I mean it's you know the Fred Van Bleets and Siakam and and Boucher I mean what what where did it come from <laughs> you you, you know. mentioned Marcus Smart earlier and uh, I have to sing his praises I love Marcus Smart uh coming out of college he was one of those guys that went, oh, I'm gonna hate this guy when he comes into the league you know he just he just was just had that kind of brash kind of grumpiness to him but his time in Boston has been so fun to watch and he's one of those guys that I would, I would, I would cut off fingers from my body in order to get him on the Kings, just as, a, as just as the presence that had to guard Darren Fox every single practice for five or ten years, just to just to piss Darren Fox off every night and to rub off on that everyone else on that team a little bit. I I I, I would do terrible things to get him on this team. Oh, I I, I think a guy like that, you know, his toughness you know just not individually but it 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 makes it his teammates tougher because they know hey, he's on our team you know mm -hmm. i always thought thought that about ron our test you know when when ron was in his prime you know it's like oh well we don't have to worry we you know if anything gets bad we got ron nobody mm -hmm. wants to mess with ron and uh you you know you you see that kind of stuff i mean it goes <laughs> goes back you know throughout history where you had some legitimate, uh, I always remember when uh, Boston drafted Tony Allen years ago before he was kind of Marcus smart before Marcus smart. I mean, you just, you just, that was a full day's work of, of playing against that guy. And, and um, he never guard in the league knew it. It's like, Holy crap. I got to, you know, I mean, I'm, I think my back's hurt, man. I have flu like, flu like symptoms. I can't go tonight. <laughs> Kobe called him the best defender he ever went against. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge praise for a, what is ultimately a role guy. But yeah, Tony Allen was was, I, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't want to play against Tony Allen. Forget that. Yeah, there's a real value in that. A guy to a lesser extent this year would be, or I mean, he's always had this reputation, but uh, I think the the Mavericks went out and got him just for this purpose as a I don't want to play against this guy as a James Johnson, where like you know the guy is mm -hmm. a champion black belt and something or rather. Black and it's belt. like I yeah. don't want yeah. to knock on Luca too much because then they might send James Johnson after me, and and so I wouldn't. I mean, former King, obviously, I probably wouldn't want him back on the Kings. But 
but as one of those guys that like is scary to to match up against i think he'd be up there as well i think that's a great point and and i i know rick carlisle pretty well and i guarantee i don't guarantee that that probably entered his thinking <laughs> you know because i mean with luca uh, and porzingis i mean they got some guys that very important to their franchise that got the teams will take shots at and uh so yeah, and James, uh, really good guy, by the way. He hadn't had the career that people thought when he came out of college per se, but but a good defender and and definitely a tough guy. Definitely a tough guy. Yeah, I I saw him kick a ball one time. He jumped up in the air and he almost put his foot to the rim, and it was like mm, I would I would never if I was talking smack to anyone in the league, I'd be quiet against James Johnson. I would hello sir, and I'd shake his hand as he came into the game, and I'd play a nice clean game against him. Like, I'd say, yes, sir. Mr. Johnson, I, I really admire your work. It's, it's an honor to guard you, sir. And that would, <laughs> that would be all the smack I would do. <laughs> that was like the old, I probably told you guys this story about Pete Maravich. I used to, uh, you know, hang around a little bit with the Hawks when I was a college division coach and Cotton Fitzsimmons was a good friend of mine. And, he, and he'd always say, you know, he said, boy, he said, as great as Pete is, he said, Every time we play the Bulls, just watch. He won't play. He'll have – he said, because he, he don't want any part of Jerry Sloan. <laughs> and, and sure, you know, sure enough, it'd be flu-like symptoms, uh, uh, lower back injuries, different things. And it's, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't want and Jerry Sloan, huh? He didn't want no part. Well, I always remember a, a kid I coached in junior college, Foots Walker, that laid in, in Anna, West Georgia. Uh, went on played 10 11 years in the league and he told me he said he said man playing against sloan and van leary said you dread it for days in advance and then you're feeling it for days after he said those guys are <laughs> those guys are scary <laughs> I, I always remember too asking van leary he was a cba coach and talked to me about it with a scouting and we'd had a few beers and he was saying he said yeah he said everybody said i was physical and tough he said the only reason i was i was scared of jerry too <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of uh even demarcus cousins used to say that about um the grizzlies like when they had gasol and zebo oh yeah you feel sore you know a couple weeks after so teams do recognize like players recognize that and the word of mouth travels and like we were saying the kings just haven't had that at all no they haven't and and that's you know and, and not saying you can get that i mean you can't make some but you can get they can definitely do better than they 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 have they just can and they must tony let's uh let's go to the patreon question of the day sir all right before we get to the patreon question for jerry this week i do want to mention that we'll be recording our patreon bonus episode with jerry next week that is a full Q&A with Jerry featuring questions from our King's Herald patrons that were submitted but not used for the main show here. So if you have a question for Jerry, make sure to get those in this week, either in the comments to this post for the show at kingsherald.com, or if you want, you can just send us your questions over on Patreon. And we may even have a special guest join us for that next week. So get those questions in now. They don't necessarily have to be basketball-related either. If you go back and listen to the bonus episodes we have recorded and posted on Patreon so far, you'd know some of the questions uh, get kind of weird. Um, but those are the best moments, and that's what makes that uh, bonus show fun. So send us whatever you got. Okay, the question this week is a little two-parter from two longtime members of the community, Rock Bottom and Arco Thunder. Rock Bottom asks Jerry first, what do you enjoy doing about the podcast? And Arco Thunder added a bit of follow-up context that considering this is the first season, you're not announcing the games or working for the team. 
in so many years. How has this transition to uh, the podcast? How's that been? Well, I, I really have enjoyed them. I mean, obviously, I, in truth, I mean, working with, uh, you know, Will, Tony, you guys, I mean, you've been a, been really a lot of fun, uh, <laughs> which probably about the only time you are any fun is doing the podcast. I don't know. But uh, I, I can't really get it into your personal lives. But uh, yeah, it just, I think just, uh, you know, well, you know, I'm totally retired now. So I feel a little more comfortable in maybe being critical about things. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, when you are an employee of an organization, you are an employee and I do believe in loyalty. And I think, you know, at some point, if you're not loyalty, then you shouldn't take the check. Uh, and I, I always kind of liked the checks, uh, to be honest with you, Mrs. Reynolds especially did. And so, uh, so this has given me a little more freedom and, and uh, you know, I'm not, uh, I don't just watch and live and breathe the Kings like I did. I'm not going to lie about that, but, it, but they're, they're still my number one interest. And so just doing the uh, podcast gives me a chance to have an opinion on things. And uh, certainly I read the Herald all the time. So I know that my opinions don't match with a lot of the fans and, and uh, all the time. And that's fine. I mean, I, my goodness, I, I'm old enough to know how many times I've been wrong. And, and I guarantee a lot of the young fans out there, if they'll just kind of remember all the things they, they absolutely knew for sure was right, they'll find as the years go by, they'll find out that a lot of them weren't. <laughs> That's the way that goes. But uh, yeah, it's just been a blast. And, uh, you know, hope, uh, hope I can do it for a long time, to be honest. We love having you, Jerry. Well, I'll say that much. Well, I'm getting all warm and fuzzy now. <laughs> Uh, so not to bring down the mood a little bit here, but we wanted to mention uh, the passing of Paul Westfall, who who passed away um, the same day as we recorded our last episode, so we didn't get a chance to say anything. Um, Coach Westfall obviously coached the Kings for um, the, the better part of three seasons. He was a basketball Hall of Famer. He's a four-time All-Star with the Phoenix Suns. Uh, he played for the Boston Celtics and was an NBA championship uh, was an NBA champion in uh, 1974. And we didn't want to um, to to pass another episode with at least uh, giving condolences to uh, to Paul Westfall, who um, sadly passed away um, at seventy about two weeks ago. Yeah, I, I tell you, I you know he was a really good friend, and and uh, probably of all the coaches in the history of the Sacramento Kings, I, I really honestly think he was the best guy. And I don't mean to, and there's some really good guys over the years that were enjoyable to talk to and be around, and and certainly some really good coaches, some guys that maybe weren't as, as uh, involved as they should have been, that sort of thing. But Paul was uh, just top of the line. And, and I always said, you know, for a guy that was a great player, which he was, and an outstanding coaching record, took a team to the finals and all that. I mean, it didn't go so well here, but he, he was a very good coach that got in, in, in a with tough situation, but humble, not a bit of ego. You <clears throat> You, Paul Westfall would never say anything about himself, uh, <clears throat> about his career or anything. Just uh, like I say, really sad day, sad day. I'll tell you right now. I mean, that, I, I, I just enjoyed uh, being around him. <clears throat> and we spent a lot of time together on the road. You know, he'd come back from the plane and we'd sit and talk basketball and life. Uh, so a uh, real loss, real loss. And I, I just hope Kings fans over the years, as years go on, uh, reflect back and you know he was in an almost impossible situation coaching wise and 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 there wasn't Pat Riley or Greg Popovich wasn't going to win with the team that he had I can tell you that 
So, you know, I want to speak, and maybe this ends it on a little bit higher note, but he was somebody also that read um, Sacktown Royalty. I think pretty yeah. much anyone who's been on Sacktown Royalty for a long time knows a story about his wife. Yeah, great picture, picture. Uh, yeah. yeah. Picture of him reading, uh, reading it, and just saying, "Oh, he's just laughing at Sacktown Royalty today." And so <laughs> it was one of those things that that, that uh, for all the all the silly things that happened on and off the court as a Kings as a Kings coach, that's the one thing for me that like he was also a fan of basketball. Yeah, he and, was. Yeah. And that was something that uh, that will stick with me for the rest of my life. So. Jerry, let's uh, let's go let's go to your uh, Reynolds wrap up here. Yeah, I, I think just a couple of things here. Early season stuff just really uh, strikes me. You know, you always think in terms of the home court advantage. I think this is a season there is no home court advantage. I'm not at all sure the road team isn't doesn't have the advantage. You know, teams are more together because of travel and uh, no crowd and all that, and, and I think it's showing up a little bit. Uh, so it's a really weird that way. And then early season blowouts, I have never seen so many blowouts early season. Now, normally we see this kind of thing, the 30, 40 point blowouts in March, you know, when teams are tired and, and things have sort of been decided, but we, we've seen them in the first week of the season. So it's just a it's just very striking. And, and then the, the, the last thing, just a couple of things that strike me, uh, you know, a, a rookie that's come out of nowhere. That's really good. Peyton Pritchard, from Boston, you know, the guy is probably one of the five best rookies in this league right now. Now I'm not, I don't know how it's going to play out, but so he's came out of nowhere. And then, and then the last thing of, uh, I just get so frustrated. Sometimes I see these guys that, uh, you know, that anybody could have had, and they like Christian Wood, and you saw it coming in Detroit, and they let him go. You know, it's like this guy is terrific. You know, you 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 had him, and and certainly other teams had him before, but you had him when he was clear that he was good, and you you let him go. You know, I mean, what what do you not watch your own tape? Let's hope Rashawn Holmes doesn't fit into that category this year. Well, you know, yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, it's like Phoenix did. I, I'm convinced Phoenix let him go because he was really more of a challenge to Aiden. Yeah. You know, I mean, he was actually better than Aiden at the time. And I, and I, and so I sort of get it in that regard because Aiden is their future and he's very, very good. And probably it, it worked out for him. But, but uh, yeah, yeah, don't uh, bite your nose off to spite your face, you know, kind of thing. But Sean Holmes is. As we said earlier, Tony, I mean, he is not, uh, he's part of the solution. He ain't part of the problem. So for everyone here at the, the Kings Herald Show, on behalf of Tony and Jerry, I'd like to thank you guys for listening to uh, yet another episode. We'd like you uh, to uh, to uh, rate and subscribe us if you can on wherever you're getting your podcasts. And uh, thank you, and we'll see you in two weeks. Stop, drop, and pop. Hippity hop to the Kings Herald Barbershop.